Champions Mojo is part of the CG Sports Network. I was talking to someone that was so upset that they were getting old. And I said, you know what? You are younger today than you'll be tomorrow. So start there. Welcome to the award-winning Champions Mojo, hosted by two world record-holding athletes and health, life, and leadership coaches. Be inspired as you listen to Conversations with Champions. And now, your hosts, Kelly Palace and Maria Parker. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Champions Mojo podcast. And today, I am co-hosting with a fellow champion, my sister, Maria Parker. Hey, Maria. Hey, Kelly. Great to be here with you. And before we uh, tell you a little bit more about our guest today, let's welcome Eni Jones to the show. Hey, Eni. Hey, Eni. Hi. Our special guest today is the magical Eni Jones. Besides being a world class swimmer, she's a mermaid. <laughs> more on that later. She's also an entrepreneur, inventor of the Eni Buoy, a swim coach, a writer for Swim Swam her own blog, and so much more. We could be here all day listing all the swimming and multiple accomplishments that Eni has, but let's just start with the high points, which is being a national master's champion from the 100, 200, 400, 500, 1500, 1600 freestyle. She's also won the U.S. uh, master's 5K open water and been the world champion in the 5K in open water. Annie also loves swimming in the open waters of Hawaii. She has been the overall champion in the 2.4K Maui Hawaii swim, the rough water, Waikiki rough water swim. She's had three top three finishes. She's a European record setter in master swimming. And in her day as a USA swimmer, she made 20 finals in U.S. swimming nationals, including the Olympic trials in 1980. She's also an NCAA national champion for the University of Florida in the 800 freestyle relay and the runner-up national champion in the 200-yard individual freestyle. And she was a member of the U.S. national swimming team. There's so much more uh, on Eni. Maria, give us a little bit more about Eni. Well, she's obviously achieved a remarkably diverse success as a pool and open water swimmer, uh, once enjoying a 28 mile swim. Another, (laughs) another cool stat on her is that during her professional triathlete career in the nineties, any was the first woman out of the water in every Hawaiian Ironman race she participated in, which was six. Her father, the late Burwell Bumpy Jones was a world-class swimmer himself and an icon in the master swimming community. Today, what we have what we call swimming royalty with us, and we can't wait to talk with Eni. Eni, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's nice to be here. So Eni, we want to start out uh, that you call yourself a mountain mermaid. Tell us where you are in the mountains and how did this mountain mermaid evolve? I live in Crested Butte, Colorado, and it's about 9,000 feet above sea level. And I grew up in in Siesta Key. um, And that's pretty beautiful beach, but I've always been more comfortable in the water than on land. And I was teaching school in Italy and swimming for the Italian masters. And I never thought I'd swim masters, but it was a great way to learn the language and get in shape. And when I got back to Crested Butte, our neighbor wrote an article and called me the mountain mermaid because I swim in 
creeks and rivers. And when I'm hiking, I always have on my bathing suit and <laughs> we'll stop for lunch and we want to go for a swim. So it's just a name that just stuck. How did you get to the mountains initially? I moved from Florida to Colorado to train for triathlons. And I had an uncle in Loveland and I located in Boulder. And I was working at a hedge fund in Boulder and really wanted a place in the mountains. So we, I got this place in the mountains and at first just used it for vacation. But then when the pandemic hit and I couldn't get back in, in my flume, I was teaching in at the University of Colorado and my husband retired from teaching at the University of Colorado. We came here full time and it's really a, a kind of a different, softer, more beautiful way of life. You know, you're dealing with nature a lot more, weather a lot more, people a lot less. So it's simpler, but in some ways it's a lot harder. For instance, uh, yesterday I was going swimming. There's no swimming pool in the town where I live. So I had to drive an hour, but I couldn't find my ice scraper to get the <laughs> ice off my windshield. And it is the middle of May. So there's only a couple weeks here a year where you don't have to scrape your windshield. How do wow. you train up there? I mean, how, how does, uh, you know, a swimmer maintain their fitness when you're an hour from a pool? What, what's your, what's well, your schedule? That actually has been kind of a dilemma. Like I can really work on land fitness and it actually makes distance swimming very scary because you don't, as a distance swimmer, you usually know your pace, you know what you need to hold. And I usually have no idea where my fitness is or what I need to do. So in the next few years, I'm hoping maybe to take trips where I visit my mom more in Sarasota or be able to train a little more in a pool before I show up at a race. But it's really helped me examine some of the other things that are going on in races that I used to miss when I was just focused on my own performance. Like what? Well, there's so many people with so many stories. And it's like what you guys do, the more people you talk to, the more people you explore, the more inspiration that you get. So sometimes when I was just focused on what I was eating or swimming or my time, I just wasn't able to make the connections with people and their stories and what they've been through and what inspired them and how they adapt. So it's been a total shift in reality, but it's been really rewarding as long as I can get over my own ego. <laughs> well said. Yeah. So, um, so you are a bit, you know, you have so many things besides your swimming that you are involved in yet around swimming. So the mountain mermaid page that, um, we did our research on, you sell an open water video series, I believe. And of course you have your coaching and you have your eeny buoy. And so this is, you know, we love to talk with entrepreneurs and people that are doing cool things around their passion. So can you talk with us a little bit about, you know, how swimming has molded you into this, um, this entrepreneur? Well, I'm a little bit different in the fact that I've been a teacher, a coach, a woman, a researcher, 
And it's come all together because I realize people learn in different ways. And in the triathlon community, especially, the swim isn't that important. But if they have a bad swim, if they don't get out composed with everybody, it ruins their whole race. And what I realized in swim teaching is there was a lot of stuff that just didn't make sense. For instance, Red Cross teaches people to breathe back into the pocket, which actually causes someone's hand to rise, which causes shoulder pain. So, and Red Cross taught that because it was a safe place to breathe, but it's really not where you should breathe for swimming. Navy SEALs would teach you to lie flat, look down. They say you have to press your chest to lift your legs but my legs are connected with my core. So if I want to lift my legs, it doesn't matter where my chest is, I can lift my legs anywhere. Total immersion was teaching lie on your side. And that gets people to relax, but then they're not using their lats, and they're not getting any faster. So I started working with people. And I started working with a lot of people that don't speak English. So I needed tools that could transcend it. I needed drills that weren't out there because people, they do the same drills and it doesn't make sense, but they were taught that way. So it just keeps perpetuating itself. Like there's the zipper drill. And the reason you want a high elbow is you want a high elbow underneath, but having a high elbow above the water is actually hard on your shoulder and it takes control and more energy. So you could have a wider recovery and then reset your catch. So I started looking at what was out there and then it started working and I would get high profile people either in triathlons or clubs coming to visit me. So I knew I was on to something, but it's hard in some ways when you're fighting the norm because when you're teaching someone, you need them to empty their head. And so often people say, well, so-and-so said this, and you have to say, well, that works sometimes, but water's denser than air. So water's 800 times denser than air. The lower you are in the water, the harder it is. So if you can lift yourself up with your posture and your chest, you're skimming the surface, and you don't need as much training time. The other thing is people always referred to DPS or distance per stroke. And I'd look at Janet Evans going, you know, that doesn't make sense unless you measure how tall someone is, because people's stroke rate is going to be very different depending on their somatotype. Then I would get people that talk about tempo. And I would be back there going, wait a minute, you're dealing with two different elements, water and air. So it's not like cycling and running where you're moving through the air. You can have two different tempos. You can be much more deliberate under the water and then let go through the air. So it was a term I trademarked called split tempo because it's just a different way of thinking. But when you think about it, it makes sense. And I couldn't, I didn't know how to teach it, but you would see it when you would see Caleb Dressel swimming or Gregorio Paltroneri, you'd almost see a gallop. Katie Ledecky has it. Their breathing arm is a little more bent, giving them a little more airtime. Their other arm is almost straight creating a gallop. And if you looked at the ratio of the underwater to the air, it was very, very different. And I was in the Bahamas and I was, I love to get conch shells and you're only allowed to eat them if they're six feet across. And then I make little jewelry things. And I saw someone had 
eaten these little conch shells. So I put them in my hands because people are so connected to their hands, but there's so much more surface area in your forearm. So I put them in my hands and I was swimming to the boat and I realized the shells would fill up underwater and drain through the air. So I thought, oh, this is a great way to actually teach split tempo, to teach people how to not have that control, especially with runners and no offense, Maria cyclists, they try to have this even control at the top part of the stroke and the bottom. And you don't need that in swimming. You can let go and re-engage and actually get more reach and then get more deliberate underwater. Wow. So Amy, yeah. So obviously your, your technique is one of the keys to your success of being um, really powerful in the water, of course, having watched you swim swim a lot and having swum next to you a lot, you're you're very powerful in the water. What other uh, secrets or techniques would you say that you use to have been so successful all these years? And one of the things that you have done, maybe a little differently, you know, we just interviewed Kurt Dixon. Um, and there are a few distance swimmers that can swim really well from the hundred to the mile. I'll never forget you and I swam in your dad's meet, the Bumpy Jones meet in Sarasota. And the day before that meet, you had swum a 10,000 open water. I don't know if it was a national championship or if it was just a, a swim around something. Just for fun. Just for no, fun. It was, a, it was, it was, a, <laughs> no, it was a race. It was a race and we were in the hundred free next to each other. And I'm thinking, Oh, Eni just told me she just swam a 10 K race yesterday. She's going to be tired. And literally in the first 10 meters, I'm looking at your feet the entire way. <laughs> and so, you know, to pull off the hundred and the 10,000, how does one do that? Um, there's a, there's a few things. So that weekend I was giving a clinic down in Fort Myers at, they were having the open water nationals. And I wish we would have had that when we were younger, but part of what I've been trying to do is give back to some of the swimmers. And sometimes when I do the Maui Lanai swim, I'll actually take USA swimmers that are at the end of their career because they everything's over. And I think, oh, these are when the fun races start. These are where you go to Hawaii, you swim an hour, and then you're in Hawaii. It's not a <laughs> five-day meet prelim and finals. So I think a lot of people also forget to have fun. Um, one of the books that helped me early on was called Red Gold, and it's a Russian training book. And People always say, oh, they doped and they did this, but they did a lot of things where they matched kids by their somatotype into their sport, which is really helpful. And they also, they had people refer to themselves as the Kelly Parker or the Maria athlete. So you weren't your performance. And I think now we have so much mental health problems because people think their their performance they think that is their life and just recently i was just so frustrated in san antonio and my husband said is that the most important thing in your life and i thought 
oh no, I met Charlotte. I got to talk to so-and-so. So I think having the fun and being able to research and do things, the other things when we talked about technique that I don't see out there that I teach, the difference between a sprinting stroke and a distance stroke is very different. So when you're sprinting, you actually want more in the front quadrant of your stroke. You want more reach there. You actually have less navel swivel. You have less in the back. And we know there's more kick, but we never have a coach that says, okay, they say go fast or they say sprint, but they don't tell you how to sprint. You know, also there's so many different kind of kicks. Like if you look at Bobby Fink in the Olympics in the 800, he had a four beat crossover until the last hundred. And then it went to a six beat kick. And when we do a kick set, people just go, oh, kick. They never say, oh, let's do a crossover kick. Let's do a two beat kick. Now we're going to swim with a four beat kick. We're going to sprint. I want you to get more in that front quadrant. And I want you to connect that left hand to that right hip. So it's going through the core. And I think that's a lot of it. We've been focusing on effort, like go fast, go hard. But sometimes you sit and you think, how? And we're all kind of aging women. Maybe you guys aren't, but we have to find a way to utilize everything we have. And I think it was um, George Bernard, Bernard Shaw that says, youth is wasted on the young and wisdom <laughs> is wasted on the old. So somehow, you know, we need to grab the wisdom and the youth that we still have. I was talking to someone that was so upset that they were getting old. And I said, you know what, you are younger today than you'll be tomorrow. So start there. So I think that's like a three part question. I think there's a technique that can change. I think adding fun and lightness is really important. And I think trying to not be attached to your athletic self is very, very, very important. Um, when I coach track, I used to have people practice what they would do at the finish line and whether they would, you know, hug, do a cartwheel or wait for the next person and shake their hand. And they were like, wow, I never thought about what I would do when I would win. So to take that um, open this, and I think sometimes they always say when you have your bad weight races are when you learn, you know, you win when you win, but when you lose, you actually learn because you take an evaluation. And I think, um, especially now in master swimming, you know, everyone has something and everyone's in a different place. And I realized it in San Antonio, because I thought, wow, the people in Florida have been swimming for two years, and I've barely even found a lane or a pool to swim in. But you have to realize, you know, you are where you are, but there's more happening around you that you can actually, you know, learn from and gain from. Wow, beautiful. You. Yeah, I, I have to say that I'm curious, you obviously have thought deeply about lots of things, not just swimming, but, you know, how to how to age as an athlete and how to live in the world and who you are, your identity. I mean, that was that that point about the Russian book, you know? And so I, Mike, I'm curious, uh, how, how did you, did you, as a young swimmer, were you very aware or is this something that's come with age that you've, you know, you've sort of studied and learned and how did you, you know, what was, 
what was the root or the source of that curiosity other than being your father's daughter, I guess? Um, I think a few things. I didn't speak until I was six. So I think I so always six, had, six. Yeah. Wow. Six. Wow. So I think I always had powers of observation that wouldn't be prevalent if I were screaming, talking, playing. I, I, I tend to sit back and evaluate and, and look at everything and look at things different ways. Um, the other thing that happened is at the time I swam um, was when we boycotted the Olympics. So we actually had trials at the same time as the Olympics, but you knew it wasn't even real trials because real trials we would have had in the spring. And I really wanted to keep swimming. And it was my dad that said, what are you going to do? Hang out in Gainesville and just swim. And a lot of my friends did. And I ended up graduating and being a swimmer at 19. And I think when you're 19 and you're out of college, especially now I look at these kids and my friends go, Oh, I got to go home. My son's 19 and he doesn't know how to turn the oven on or, you know, and I go, Oh my gosh. Like, I think it was a very different time. Ben. So I think having, um, not being able to speak and being able to evaluate things by observing was really helpful. And then sometimes not being feeling like you're a part of things um, is very helpful. How yeah. You, that, yeah. Yeah. How did you know? Like, did you, so at, you know, as a six-year-old, do you remember not speaking while all of your, all of your peers were? Well, we had five kids in six years. So okay. I think there's a lot of nonverbal communication between siblings. But I do remember being with a friend of mine when I was five and her brother was chasing her and she screamed. And I just remember thinking, oh, I wish I could scream. And I think of it now when I see coaches on deck and they can whistle and scream and I don't have the biggest voice and it gives out, you know, so I like one-on-one -on -one conversations and I like reading and writing. Um, and so sometimes even now I wish I, my voice was stronger. Well, the, the, what you've just described makes sense when we, you know, we were reading some of the things that you've written. You're a great writer, really good writer. Uh, and really enjoyed the, the, the articles that you've done for swim swam, but um, so, but, but in reading the article that you wrote about your dad after he died, it was interesting to me. It sounds like the relationship wasn't always that smooth. Perhaps it was, tell me, tell us about your, your relationship with your dad and how that impacted you as a swimmer and a person. My dad, he, I feel like he was ahead of the curve in a lot of ways. And I don't feel like I was the best swimmer in the family. I think I stuck with it the longest and I think I had more fun and I think I had a great um, relationship with my dad. He ended up remarrying and I was not an am not a fan of his wife only because she tried to clean sweep erase a lot of the history. But some of the most important things I learned from my dad were actually about golf and not swimming. And when I would play with my dad and this 92 year old, I realized how great it was that I could be in my twenties playing golf with my dad and this old man. And 
no other sports kind of besides swimming, you can really encompass generations. And I really think that that's why I'm, I made fun of master swimming at the beginning, but now I am, you know, really grateful. And it wasn't like my relationship was bad with my dad, but his wife did prevent me from going to the funeral and seeing him the last few years. Mm. And so that was really hard. But you realize that, you know, the only important thing in the world is really love because nobody can take that from you. People can take your money, they can steal your car, but nobody can steal love from you. And so it's what you give. And I think that's been kind of an important thing thinking about him because I always feel close to him. I think about him every day. And the last few years, he was getting dementia. So I hope he knew I was there. But it was kind of just a really sad ending because I was starting to have more time in my life. And I would have liked to have spent more time with him. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful, Annie. So obviously, your dad, Bumpy Jones, um, and there is an annual meet named after him even before he passed away. It was for many years. I, I've attended the Bumpy Jones meet every year because I'm in Florida too. And so obviously he was an inspiration for your life. And you you referenced if for anybody who doesn't know what San Antonio and Charlotte means, um, San Antonio just happened. It was the U.S. Masters National Championship and Charlotte was the 99-year-old swimmer who swam in the meet and inspired so many of us. Who who else has been uh, someone that has inspired you or touched you throughout? I'm sure there are many, 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 um, but anyone that sticks out as really kind of a life changer for you? Um, I think my dad's golf coach, um, his name was Joe Ternessa, and he won the U.S. Open in 1927. Wow. He actually beat Bobby Jones and got, uh, he didn't beat Bobby Jones, but Bobby Jones was an amateur and Joe was a pro. So he got the $500 and it was nice listening to him as a history book. And we were trying to get him to join the seniors tour. And he kept saying his short game wasn't ready and he wasn't putting well. And, you know, he was 92. So I think we're never ready. And you have to give it up to somebody like Charlotte. I was blown away, not that she was swimming, but after every event I saw her, she was getting ready to press herself out of the pool and a, um, a official would come over and say, no, 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 go over and use the ladder. And I just thought that was amazing. And what is entailed going to a swim meet, just the traveling, especially after a pandemic and hotels and Ubers and cars and 3,800 people. It was, to me, it was just so overwhelming. So I was really inspired. I think the other people that inspire me are, were my dad's friends like uh, Graham Johnson, Don Hill, they swam in college, they, you know, would meet and swim against each other as they were getting older. I also, as a kid, met Duke Kamanamoku and just reading some of his things and what he went through and the grace and beauty he had um, being a person was really inspiring. I love studying history and swimming and sports. So when you read about what different women have done through history and, you know, I was on the internet the other day and it was said, 
Swimming World posted something. Fun fact, in 1912, the was the first year they the women could compete in the Olympics. And I thought, well, gosh, that's not the adjective I would have used fun. I mean, I would have used shocking fact, but <laughs> really when I think I've had friends run the marathon in the Olympics and, you know, we weren't even able to run the marathon until 1984. My best event was the 1500. You know, it wasn't even allowed for women when I swam, you know, to swim in the Olympics. So, you know, they had it in trials in 80 because it was a national meet. So there's all these people through history that I think have really paved the way. And I don't know how you get some of the young people to appreciate that because when I I was swimming with Linda Bostick, who swam at Texas and Florida, and we were talking and I said, oh, I was so happy at the Olympics because it's the first time in 40 years that our times wouldn't make finals. And I thought it's so nice to look at it and go, oh, good, they've moved beyond. But when you talk to the kids, they think they're the fastest, the newest and the best. And there's just so much rich, rich history that somehow I want to get it out there. And I think in San Antonio, seeing Charlotte was amazing. I know when I was in Italy teaching school, I went to European Masters Nationals and I had a day off and I decided to go to platform diving. And there was an 80 year old woman up on the 10 meter tower. And I looked at the heat sheet and I said, oh, my God, she's from England. I can talk to her. And I said, hi, aren't you afraid you're going to hurt yourself? She had on knee pads and wrist guards. And she said, honey, at my age, I can fall in the shower and be there for three days. She said, here, the ambulance is right there. There's the EMT. There's the doctor. She goes, I know I'm going to be okay. And I thought, wow, that's so inspirational because it's easy almost to think too much. And I said, did you dive when you were younger? And she said, there was no athletics when I was younger. She said, when I was 60, my doctor said, you're getting fat. And so she went to master's and it was boring, but there was a high school diving class and she joined the class. And she said, so I didn't start swimming till I was 60. And it's the same thing with Charlotte. She didn't start swimming till she was 72, which we have this thing where we think, oh my God, we're at the beginning of the heat sheet. We're near the old people. But there are these people with these phenomenal lives and amazing stories. And the more you can talk to them or the more your podcast reaches people, it really not only makes your day better, it makes your whole life better. Wow. Wow. That is some serious inspiration. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it is, it's, it's, it is hard to, uh, understand when, you know, if we think back to when we were young, all three of us here, you know, in our twenties swimming, we, I didn't, I didn't respect those people that went before us. So, um, how do you think we can do that? You, you write great articles. We'll do podcasts. Um, maybe that's the way to reach, you know, reach out and inspire people. I, I think that's it. And even um, talk to people and make make the connections because, you know, I do think, you know, there's that saying, you know, everybody's going through something, be kind, but everyone really has a story or some inspiration 
or a connection that can really help you. And I think sometimes we get not self-absorbed, but so concerned with our own things. And in the whole scheme of things, that's not that important. So So true. true. (laughs) What is, uh, what is your, your biggest obstacle that you've been through? What's really, um, been hard for you, Eni? Um, oh gosh, I have some that I'm probably not really willing to share yet, but you know, a lot of things are as simple as mother's day. Like I don't have kids. I did IVF, you know, it didn't work. When I was in first grade, the nun said, what do you want to be? And I said, I want to be a cowboy's girlfriend when I grew up. And they (laughs) sent me to the principal's office and changed it to cowboy's mother. So I think (laughs) my whole life, I, I consider myself kind of maternal and very caring, but I never felt like I, it was something that I, I'm so good at organizing and making sandwiches and having fun. But sometimes I think the things that life gives you are harder. Like to me, I know I should just focus on myself, but God, I would just love to make sandwiches and organize things and drive people around. So I think my hardest challenge is just adapting to the things that life gives you and you have to accept it and excel at it no matter what it is. Wow. That that's so true, Annie, that, I mean, and and we're, I I don't believe that there's any mistakes and, and the things that happen to us and, you know, that good kid can come out of it. I'm, I'm so impressed. We're so impressed with your wisdom and your thoughtfulness. Um, What I've been wondering as you've been talking is how does a person become like you in terms of what do you do every day? Um, your rituals, your thought patterns, your routines to become this thoughtful, wise, successful woman that you are? Oh, well, thanks for the compliment. I don't know um, if that's, I do get up very early because I think there's a lot of um, sacredness in many cultures at that time. I think there's beauty all around us and we miss it because we become so cerebral and so focused Um, on different things. So I think the more you can observe and read, um, it becomes very important and kind of a way of life. And even to change your thinking, racing, where you realize like racing is a celebration and being able to travel and meet people and move your body. Sometimes that's more important than a place or a record or an achievement. And I I think about it a lot when I was teaching in Italy and I taught a class called writing workshop and I had, I read the Pied Piper to the kids and I said, I don't know if you know the story, but there was a guy that came in to get rid of the rats and then they didn't pay him. So he stole all the kids, but there was one kid that couldn't keep up because he was gimpy. So I told the kids to write about something bad that happened to them that turned into something good. And I thought the stories would be like, oh, yeah, I didn't get invited to a party, but I met my best friend in the laundry room of our apartment. And instead, these kids were high profile kids. And they said things like, 
oh, I was kidnapped and taken to Northern Italy and they put duct tape on my eyebrows and I lost them. But I didn't have to go to school for two months because they put me in therapy. And then one girl said, my mom was blow drying her hair and my dad was mad and we were late to a party and we but when we got there it was a good thing because everybody at the party blew up and she was israeli but you looked at these kids and i just thought they have been through so much but they still had this lightness and embracing of each other no matter what religion they were and what they had been through and the things they had been through were probably bigger than any of us will ever face. And, you know, you think of it now when you go to a swim meet on this side of the globe, but on the other side of the globe, there's war or there's famine or there's hatred. And so I really think, you know, you have to search for the goodness, but people don't realize, you know, we do this comparison with this person and that person, but some people have been through things that we can't even fathom. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So that's definitely one kind of pain for sure. And one of the things Maria and I love to chat with other distance athletes about is the pain of a race and how, um, is it your, we have this theory that when you're in a race and it's super painful, that you're, you may not be in as good a shape as you thought you were. And what are you thinking when you're in a long race, whether that's 1500 and up and you're in pain, what is your mindset? How do you deal with that? And have you ever had a really fast, long race where there wasn't as much pain because you were in better shape? So let's workshop this a little bit for our listeners that, you know, want to, not be in as much pain or how they deal with it. If it's just inevitable. I have people go turn on their oven and I say, it's like going through a doorway and we do this thing where all we do is we're on the threshold and we go, that hurts. And we back away that hurts. And we back away. We touch the stove and we go, Oh, it's hot. We touch stove. It's hot. But as soon as you get through the threshold, there's no pain anymore. And I think we do this constant evaluation like, oh, my legs hurt. I'm tired. I can't get enough air. And really, none of that stuff matters. You're in the front back part of your brain. The zone or the place you want to be in is the back part of your brain where you're not constantly evaluating what you're thinking or what you're feeling. And that's where things like meditation helps, where you're practicing dropping your heart rate, controlling your thoughts, working on your breathing. And I think we spend so much of our life in the front brain, you know, making a grocery list, what we have to do, that sometimes, you know, we don't get in that uh, yummy zone thing. So I always say it's like a threshold. If you can get through it, it doesn't matter anymore. <clears throat> I know sometimes when I've raced, when I don't feel well, I'm surprised at the result. But I thought, gosh, I stopped doing inventory of how I felt because I feel awful and it doesn't, it doesn't matter anymore. Um, as far as being in shape and racing, sometimes that's really hard for me because the better shape I'm in, I can go out faster, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to die. So I think when I'm really fit, I really have to work on pacing and repeating, you know, so that doesn't happen. But I do feel 
like it's a threshold or a gateway that you can get through um, to actually get rid of that constant evaluation of how you're feeling because to me that's not important anymore nice very nice i I like the idea of threshold so you cross over and then it's good and then it's like oh my gosh i'm i'm here i'm doing this i love it and and you get through it but we have a tendency to be at that doorway and go back and forth try to go faster and then back away and I think getting people to move through this place where there is no pain. And I think, I think it does exist because you stop doing the evaluation. That's, that's, that's new. We, Maria, we have not heard that from any of our, <laughs> no, no, but so I'm, I love I'm thinking that I've had that experience though. So that's, that's, I'd like to think about that some more. That's great. That's beautiful. All right, Edie, we, we, in respect for your time, we do have a fun sprinter round of questions, but before we go to that, is there anything we have not asked you that you'd like to share with us? No, I'm just glad you guys are doing this. I think, um, especially the last few years, podcasts have helped people training, running, living, and they don't realize so many people are going through the same things, but we've lost a lot of the physical connections with people. So I'm happy you're doing it. It really serves a higher purpose. Mm, thank you. Well, thank you. And yeah, we're just thrilled that you're, you're with us and we've gotten so we've had so much fun today. All right. We're going to have even more fun. So we're looking for just one or two, uh, one word answers from me on the first one. And then Maria's got a few for you. Are you ready? Ready. Okay. Cat or dog? Dog. Red or blue? Blue. Milk chocolate or dark chocolate? Milk. Kickboard or no kickboard? Um, Kickboard and a friend. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Mountains or beach? Beach. Football or baseball? Oh. Hmm. Wow, that's a hard one. Um, pass. Okay. <laughs> okay. iPhone or Android? Android. Yay, Maria, we found an Android. <laughs> Maria and I are the only other Android. Nobody ever says Android on our show. So well, they take better, they take better photos. They yeah. do. And 78% of the world has an Android phone, but in the US, somehow that market share is inverted in the US, but worldwide Android is, is, is the bomb. Okay. Coffee or tea? Um, coffee in the morning, tea in the afternoon. Okay. Morning person or night owl? Morning, but some people consider when I get up night. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. What time do you get up? About three 30. Oh my goodness. What time do you go to bed? As soon as it gets dark and my husband says, I can't go to bed until it gets dark. So I shut the curtains. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. All right. Uh, Last one from me. Fingernail polish or no fingernail polish? Um, Will someone else paint my fingernails? No. (laughs) Um, Probably no then. Okay. All right. I just, I I just have to ask why the, why you had to pass on football or baseballs because you love them both so much or you don't care about them. Um, no, it's, I don't know. I was a water girl in high school for the football team. And in the 
70s, I taught aerobics to the Watsit Spring training. And neither, and then at the University of Colorado, I also um, worked in the academic athletic office trying to help football players write um, papers. So being around what I consider athletes my whole life, um, neither one of them were very fit. Mm-hmm. So, but um, that being said, um, my boyfriend in high school did kick a 52 yard field goal. <laughs> nice. I just never thought, I never thought their practices were that hard. And I have a, when I was at CU, um, I was up by the field house and I would make um, swimmers and triathletes crawl on their knees with a board over their knees and the football players would get carted down in their golf carts to the field. And I just thought, boy, maybe I'm old school, but we would be running up and down and not being delivered to practice in a golf cart. (laughs) So probably my answer would be a lack of respect. Okay. All right. I got it. All right. Favorite color. Blue. Favorite pizza topping. Um, I like to eat pizza from the top to the bottom. So I use a fork. I do love Hawaiian pizza. I like pineapple on it. I like arugula on it, onions. Mm. Um, but I like eating the top and then the sauce and then the bottom. Okay. <laughs> Favorite vegetable. Favorite vegetable. Spinach. Favorite swim complex you've swum in the U.S.? The pool in Santa Barbara. Mm. It was built in the 30s. They did public works and they built... 50 meter pools all down the coast and most of them have fallen into disarray, but this pool has Royal Palms all the way around it. And I was swimming there with David Stims and he said, look at those trees. They make the Olympic rings. Look over there. They make a podium and it's just, it's pretty ornate, but it's right in the Harbor. So it's, it's just beautiful. And it's kind of just an, old pool that we don't see anymore with the um, attention to detail and landscape mm-hmm. and location. Yeah. What kind of music do you like? I like, I pretty much like everything. So not one thing above another. There there are some Italian revolution songs that I end up liking. I'd say it's very eclectic. Okay. I'm not surprised. What, what's your shoe size? It's a nine. Do you have any siblings? I have two older brothers and two younger sisters, and we're all within six years of each other. Mm-hmm. You're, do you have a favorite Star Wars character? Um, I always kind of related to... Chewy, because no one understood what he was saying. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love Chewy. Can you, can you cook? I, I love cooking. Um, but I would say my husband's a better cook, but I think, I think the thing that I've really enjoyed the last couple of years has been, uh, cooking slowly and meals being more a part of the day rather than an emergency fuel session. (laughs) That's interesting. Okay. Last question. What word comes to mind when you dive into the water? Um, clean, clean, clearing. Hmm. Very like nice. Everything gets washed away and it just clears your mind. It cleans, cleans your body. 
Love it. Love it. Amy, this has been such a pleasure. And, you know, I just, we've, the world out there, our listeners have known you as a swimmer, an extraordinaire. You're, yeah, you're and a philosopher. Now we get to know you <laughs> as this beautiful philosopher, a philosopher mermaid, um, you know, so we're, it's, it's just been Wise such woman. a pleasure. Yeah. Woman, I can't wait for everybody to, to yeah. hear you. Well, Thank you I'll, so I'll, much. You're welcome. I'll leave you with this last thing. Do you know where the saying um, that really gets my goat comes from? No. Mm-mm. Have you heard that before? Yeah. Oh, definitely. So in the old days, when um, horses before they raced, they would put a goat in the stall to calm the racehorse. And then the night before the race, people would go around and steal goats so that the horse wouldn't get a nice sleep. (laughs) And I think that's kind of important for all of us to realize, you know, who and what are our goats to calm you down you know, and, and make things a little more fun for you and not let anybody take the things that are important from you. Oh, wow. Such <laughs> a great thing to, to close on. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Thank you well, so much. Thank you so much, Enis. It's now time for the takeaways. Maria, you and I have heard the takeaways are the best part of the show. That's right, Kelly, because the takeaways are curated information, which is what we give to our clients when we coach them. If you would like to take your performance to the next level in health, life, or leadership, go to our website and schedule your free 30-minute consultation. Yes, just click on our coaching page and book there. We're looking forward to bringing out the champion in you. And now, the takeaways. Oh, Maria, what a great interview. I I knew that there was mermaid magic in Enie Jones. And I hope people listen to the, yeah, I hope people listen to the whole show, but these are our takeaways from what is just a fantastic interview. I got so much out of it. Um, what was yeah, your me, first me too. I, I, well, I just want to say that this, this woman again has thought about it a lot and she has some really unique perspectives. Definitely listen to the whole show. Um, but my first, my first kind of takeaway was, a she is a very observant person. She has really thought a lot about a lot of things, but, but, you know, she, we talked a lot about swimming and swimming different kinds of strokes and, you know, how, you know, how you approach swimming from different, different angles. And um, anyway, she, she made a lot of really keen observations. And uh, I, when I asked her about that, she said, well, I was, I said, you know, how is it that you've, you know, acquired all this wisdom and observation? She said, I was mute until I was six years old. I didn't speak until I was six. And so I guess I spent a lot of time in my boisterous family. She had a lot of siblings, um, you know, making observations. And so that made me, and this actually dovetails really nicely with something that I came to me in my own quiet time this morning is when we're talking and we're trying to express ourselves when we want to, when we want to act or move, we are not observing. We are not being quiet. We are not. So I, I, I want to just embrace this concept for myself, you know, that was just reiterated with Eni, just observe, listen, watch, you'll learn so much. I love that. It's a great, great uh, thing to do is to be observant. And she is a student of, of life, of swimming around her, of swimming, of her fellow swimmers. So yeah, that was, that was really inspirational and certainly something that I want to do and take away from this. I also, my first takeaway was, I loved it. It was towards the end where we talked about um, 
going ahead and making the bad pancake. You know, when, when, <laughs> yeah, when you're when you're trying to to do something, maybe a performance, whether that's swimming or you know playing a musical piece, writing for someone, a book, or dancing, or writing a book, <laughs> whatever it is that you know when you make pancakes, the first one is always kind of burned or undercooked or overcooked <laughs> until you get to the good, beautiful pancakes. And so you know that's we, we were talking specifically that at San Antonio at the U.S. Masters Nationals, a lot of people showed up. Uh, where this had been their first meet in a long time from the pandemic and being off. So, um, you know, it's like the first pancake was not good for a lot of people there. And then you just know, you just got to keep, keep going until the good pancakes come. Yeah. I love that. I love that. That's such a great analogy because we can all, we can all relate to that experience of burning the first pancakes and not being afraid. Basically. I mean, she was addressing the nervousness and fears of of a co-master swimmer who's saying, I haven't, you know, swum so long. I'm really scared. She said, we just got to be willing to burn the first pancake or or undercook it or whatever. That's great. Um, So my second observation, which I, I, from what we talked about was she, you need, talked about the history of sports for women, especially. And she said, I want this young generation of swimmers to know that they're, they can do what they're doing because of the people who've come before them. You know, it's the women and men and others who have, who have set, have opened doors for them, especially for women, you know, and and swimming distances and endurance, you know, they used to think that, you know, something would happen to women if we participated in these sports, like our hearts would burst or something. Right. So, so I, I, I love this idea of, you know, we really have to make sure that the, that everyone knows, including me, you know, like I, I, I get to get on my bike and participate in a 24 hour race and nobody's going to say, you can't do that because of the women who have come before and done it before. So I, I love this idea of making sure we give credit to the people who have come before and that we're standing on the shoulders of some amazing, especially women athletes. Yeah. And that af- applies to any age, you know, yeah. whether you're our age and looking back at the women and men and people, the trailblazers, and then certainly the young people today of, you know, giving credit to the, those trailblazers. Yeah. That, that was a, that was a great observation she had. Uh, so my last one, and there, there are many more than these two, but we only there get are. our two takeaways are my, I love the conversation about the pain threshold and mm-hmm. how, when one is doing something painful and, you know, this can apply to a long swimming race, a long biking race, a long running race. It can apply to cold water therapy, which, you know, we love to talk about on champions mojo. We, I love, I love cold water therapy. Um, I don't particularly like the pain that I feel in a, you know, in a mile, but it's, I liked her observation or her takeaway of pushing through that threshold. You don't go up to it and then back off and go up to it and then back off. Cause it, you know, a coward dies a thousand deaths. I mean, she didn't yeah. say that, but that's but kind that's, of, that's where that comes that's, from. That's where that comes from. So, uh, that I, I really got something out of that. Yeah. I think that's really true. I, I was, you know, as we were discussing this, I, I, uh, Andrew Huberman, who just did a, a podcast on cold water therapy said he, instead of just doing it for a certain time, he thinks about crossing over multiple thresholds or going through a window or a door. So the first, you know, you get in and that's one door. And then, you know, maybe you, you stay in for another couple of minutes or you turn the water temperature down. That's yeah. another door. And I think that there's a lot to be said about that, not just in suffering that we choose, which is athletics, but unchosen suffering too. Sometimes we, 
cannot imagine how we're going to get through whatever difficult thing we have coming. And we just have to keep walking forward and crossing the threshold. And if we don't, that's going to come up other ways in later years. You have to deal with your difficulties, with your trauma. You have to walk over these thresholds as painful as they are. Sometimes we can't think about something and it in my experience, if, if I go ahead and allow myself to experience the pain now, then I will reap the benefits of having dealt with whatever it is that was, that's, that was difficult. And I don't have to think, you know, I don't have to deal with whatever ways it comes up later. Yes. Yes. So all great stuff. We encourage you to listen to the whole show and, um, Another one, another great interview in the books, yes. Maria. Kelly, I love you so much. So it's such a great opportunity to be together and to talk to these amazing people. Thank you. It is. Love you, Maria. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This week's quote of the week comes from Eni Jones. Everyone really has a story or some inspiration or a connection that can help you. You've been listening to the Champions Mojo podcast with host Kelly Palace and Maria Parker. Champions Mojo is produced by Cabra Media, and a new episode debuts every Tuesday. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a five-star review. Follow Champions Mojo on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Champions Mojo.